Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove. It's a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about Godzilla movies. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org where you can get tickets and showings and all the other cool goings on at the Trilon uh, in South Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I want to marry your daughter. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Denis Villeneuve and welcome to Jackass. What? Uh, Aaron, your name's Aaron. Uh, uh, and you can find him at, on Twitter at RV, please. And I'm determined to find a use for the oxygen destroyer that will benefit society. Uh, I, I wish you Godspeed in that effort, Aaron. Uh, today's film uh, is playing as part of a series at the Trilon, which you can find by going to trilon.org. Uh, and there are several other series playing currently. Uh, well, not currently. There's one other series playing currently, and it is the Agnes Varda Dio de Cinema series playing May 2022. Uh, later in the summer, we've got Nick Cage National Treasure. Um, there are other mini series in there. Uh, there's a, a, an Eddie Murphy series. There's a few fun film noir just go check it out uh just trying to give you an idea of all the weird cool fun stuff that plays at the trial and and some related cinemas around the uh twin cities that we won't mention by name but uh that deserve a little bit of a slant shout out i guess uh aaron take it from me because you're going to tell us what movie we're talking about and what movie uh what that movie is actually about i can give the summary but harry do you do you want to say the moot do you want to say the movie harry i, I mean say the movie i and don't movie, worry harry. fans of uh my instagram godzilla is here jason has taken a screenshot he will be on this pod uh yeah i'm i'm thrilled to announce that it has finally begun it is the 1954 ichiro honda's godzilla you can insert the let's fucking go here if you want or i can just say let's fucking go oh jesus this is like some sort of can you so, turn that off sorry about that, your ear okay. drums, everyone but uh it's uh, because it's godzilla time um for yes me. our film today is indeed godzilla 1954 it is not mothra versus godzilla it is not king kong versus godzilla it's not even terror of mecha godzilla but the original godzilla uh from 1954 black and white film uh the film is the first to feature the famous uh monster dinosaur kaiju etc 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 um, after a number of Japanese uh, uh, ships and kind of fishing boats uh, are destroyed at sea, the Japanese government sends paleontologist Kyohei Yamane, uh, played by Takashi Shimura here, uh, to investigate Odo Island, uh, where there have been reports of an ancient creature named uh, Godzilla that is kind of known in their folklore, uh, but has kind of resurfaced and has been destroying homes, killing villagers, eating all the fish, stuff like that. Uh, Godzilla appears to be uh, an evolution of a dinosaur disturbed by underwater hydrogen bomb testing. Uh, even more disturbing is the fact that it has survived these tests, uh, implying that it may be hard, even impossible to kill. Uh, aiding in Yamane's uh, work is his daughter, Amiko, uh, played here by Momoko Kochi, uh, who is engaged to Yamane's co-worker, Dr. Sarazawa, played by Akihiko Hirata. 
um, but plans to break off that engagement uh, as she she secretly loves a ship captain named uh, Hideto Ogata, uh, who is played here by Akira Takarada. Um, as Godzilla continues to terrorize Japan, Yamane and co. are forced to use drastic measures to try and stop it. Uh, trying to sum up the I don't know, overall influence of Godzilla in a small summary like this is pretty much impossible. Um, although the film uh, was inspired by kind of previous monster movies, Godzilla nevertheless had its own kind of unique flavor, um, combining a uh, relatively nuanced portrayal of post-war and post-nuclear Japan uh, with quite stark imagery of urban and environmental destruction. Uh, the success of Godzilla uh, rivaled in Japan that year only by Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, um, not only spawned the Godzilla films as a kind of large franchise, but also created the kaiju genre and changed Japanese and global cinema as a whole. That's what I got. Hey, that's one of the best summaries you've ever done, I think, TBH. Ah, oh, you're just saying that because you're biased. You know, no. uh, it's the spring breakers summary. I mean, you know. That, but, uh... Yeah, you're right. That was probably the best one. <laughs> this is a close No, summary. no. I, wait, 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 wait. I, I really struggled with this because Why? I do... Sorry, yeah, Jeff, go go ahead. I mean, you continue, but I want to know why we don't have a golden berries for the best Aaron summary. Oh yeah, we They're have all bad. we have to add that. No, that's <laughs> we do definitely have to get happening. that one. Yeah, new yep. category. Um, Look, you were going to say you motherfuckers want to remember my summaries at the end the end of each year. Go ahead, but no, yeah, uh, it's not on you. It's like Cody's <laughs> noties. You don't have to remember shit. Just, and just <laughs> scrawling through, just like oh, I can't remember. It's a buy um, award for you, just like Cody's noties. We all have yeah. to have buy awards eventually. Writing a summary on this one is hard. Uh, I think this may be uh, maybe kind of a hot take. There, there are a number of difficult films that I, I did not. I was not on the episode for. I wasn't on like Uncle Boo Me, for example. Um, but I think that like this is in a lot of ways like kind of the hardest film we've talked about. Maybe just because there's like so much wrapped up in this pretty like seemingly understandable package but there's like so much yeah. kind of underneath the surface that i really struggled like I, think... I don't know how the fuck to set up godzilla the specifics of this film which are like kind of maybe less important than like the larger cultural impact of godzilla it but would also be like, like trying to summarize neon genesis evangelion oh my god stop <laughs> no i mean like i think that's why it's important for us to like take it from our perspectives rather than like the statement of godzilla is blank like i'm not gonna be able to give that this is a 60-some-year-old movie. I'm not going to be able to encapsulate it like that. <clears throat> so when it comes time for me to get my thoughts, apologies, there's a lozenge in my throat. Ricola, if you're asking. Uh, lemon mint made with Swiss alpine herbs. It's a it's a 60-some-year-old yeah. movie. Welcome to the year 2004. <laughs> this Wait. is my little podcast. It would be 2014, and it is currently 68 well, years old. L- Harry, listen, if you come not, at the man, not you best not fucking miss. You missed. You whiffed. Shit Multiple people here claiming math is their strong suit. Fellas, this is quite an episode we've got here. <laughs> and the only person who's, whose strong suit is actually math is probably the guy who took statistics in college. Um, it's going to be like where my perception of Godzilla was versus what the this movie actually showed me because I hadn't seen the original before. This was my first time around the block. Um, I don't know if that's where we want to start is just with like Jason's thoughtsies or I kind of want to yield the floor to Harry on what he thought about you know, finally having this nut busted and getting this thing out there. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's been a big year for busting nuts at the Trilon, hasn't it? Between this and Satoshi Kon. Um, and while we were in the theater for Godzilla, there was a True Stories uh, preview. And so I got to see David Byrne's glowing visage on the big screen. And I was like, this is just everything I love in the world uh, in one place. 
Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, we talked about this a little bit. I think that this is a really great place to start. I mean, obviously because it's the start, but also because I think that this movie does a really great job of sort of encapsulating a lot of the nuance and multifaceted sort of symbolic metaphorical nature of Godzilla in a way that sort of, um, is refracted or reappropriated or diluted a little bit in subsequent installments um, on this rewatch. And obviously I've seen this movie many times before, but coming at it with the lens of being able to talk about it with all of you, what really struck me about it is the ways in which Godzilla is both all of the things that he is symbolic of in future installments and the ways that that symbolism interacts here, especially in the year 1954, is quite a bit different from what I think Godzilla is ultimately meant to portray. And in some very um, forward-looking and even, I would say, prophetic ways that make this movie feel a lot more than even the sum of its parts or even the sum of its cultural influence, I was really um, taken aback this time around by just how prescient a lot of what it was doing was saying and how it's the specificity of its warnings and of what Godzilla represents and how it's grappled with in this movie becomes something that is, that is very much um, about the 20th century. And particularly in my opinion, um, the rest of the 20th century post 1954, this is very much a movie about what the world looks like post world war two and post um, nuclear pro proliferation um, in a way that like, I feel like subsequent installments and even a little bit the cultural perception of Godzilla loses a little bit when it becomes just about sort of nuclear warnings or just about a climate change yeah. metaphor or just about sort of a um, atrocities committed against the Japanese people metaphor. Um, I think Godzilla, it, it sits at an intersection of a lot of very nuanced metaphors here in this movie specifically. Um, and I think that the way that they draw those move those metaphors outward toward um, a sort of warning or vision of the future really makes this movie um, important. And it makes the sort of um, the influence that it captured and the imagination that it stoked for generations to follow make a lot more sense, even beyond the sort of like obvious uh, technical achievement of this movie. And I think that like that's something I'm really interested in talking about this time. No, yeah, exactly. What you're saying about like how it's not just localized around hey Hiroshima was I guess I'm 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 a fool because my assumption about Godzilla and the origins of Godzilla are like it what has permeated the cultural consciousness which is like it is about the uh you know ongoing trauma of the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh in World War II. It is Right. And sort of I a mean, reaction to that. And and like you say, it is that. It's also encompassing. Yes, you're not foolish a, for believing that, right? right? Because like, that, that is, is that so is a, much what Godzilla has come to represent. Right. And it is a starting point, I think, to better understand. Because like one of the things that I found out while researching a little bit about this movie, and it does not surprise, is that, of course, when this movie debuted in Japan, people left the theater crying because it was very evocative of a lot of emotions that had just been relatively fresh less than 10 years after the bombings. Um less than like, excuse me, four or five years uh, after Japan had regained its independence after the war. Uh, so it stirred a lot of emotions among Japanese audiences, even for as like creature featurey as it reads today. And in America, it was read with like laughter and goofiness because look at the special effects, look at the, you know, the guy in the suit kind of thing. And it was like, how well, is... And, and because if Americans are known for one thing, changed. it's yeah, never right. learning anything. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
So like with that as my background, knowing that like the differences in how it was perceived and like, I guess how the franchise has evolved over time, how it has become or did become for a good while, way more kaiju monster movie, just battling type thing. Um, to find out that it is not just about like Godzilla as like symbol of terror of the terror of nuclear war, but also like as a symbol of what remains after a Holocaust, right? Like Godzilla existed before the bomb uh, and he is now changed after the bomb and people like have to grip with more than anything, how that monster has changed over time. Not necessarily that like he's newly born because a bomb dropped in the ocean. He was a thing like he was sated. He was a monster, but he was a thing. Uh, and to know that the bomb changed forever how they would have to deal with this monster adds way more nuance and way more interesting take about what this movie ends up being uh, and sort of the story that it's that is told within that within that structure for me anyway. No, totally. And that I think one of the things that was most striking to me the first time I saw Godzilla um, about a year or so ago watching it at the Trilon last night was my second time. Like the, the thing that stood out to me most was the fact that it was like, it's like what, like I felt the same thing watching Rocky for the first time where it's like Rocky is where so many of these, like, like the genre sort of started here and not to just like put things into buckets of like tropes, but just like, it is very clear what movies took from this. And it is very clear what, you know, like the Kaiju and, and like monster subgenres and, and horror, like big special effects blockbusters, what all of those things take from Godzilla um, and, and not that they're all necessarily watered down, but like having a monster um, be, you know, like Harry uh, was was uh, gesturing at the sort of, you know, it it is representative of a specific time and place and situation. And like going forward, I mean, the most recent example uh, of like monster movies is like um, or even like prestige uh, prestige television i'm using air quotes like something like game of thrones where it's like this this like third party opposing force is you know it, it represents climate change and just like that's as far as we're going to take it we're just going to really water this down because we know people want to see uh the monsterness of it all but not uh, like not to uh, use godzilla in the same sentence with like jaws or jurassic park but you do see like little bits and pieces of that whereas like you know um narratively it, it may be more impactful to hide you know, a creature like Godzilla um, until later, there's also a very specific, um, you know, symbolic purpose to it. And that's, yeah, I, I, even like seeing it uh, again, the second time, like pretty recently um, compared to, you know, the gap between my first time watching it, that's still like, it, it's, it's less the creature focus that, than even I would have remembered it to be even going and being like, remember, this is not like, you know, this is where a lot of these things started. Um, so that's, I don't know if you haven't watched Godzilla for a while, going back to it, that's I I don't know I think we're something bearing uh, be, uh bearing in mind and not to like go all the way back but <laughs> Harry when you mentioned uh, one thing at our showing last night that um uh, and you called out the true stories trailer that is certainly not what I thought you were going to take away as uh, like the the signifying event of that screening we don't have to get into that right now but I just wanted to put out feelers for that oh yeah well I mean the thing about doing a podcast on. Uh, movies we watched and people we met at the Trilon is sometimes we meet people we would rather not have met at the Trilon. That's just part of the game. Um, I'm going to let Jason explain that. Um, but I, I really want to talk a, a little bit about um, both what you had said and what Jason had said, because like that is one of my biggest takeaways for both Godzilla as sort of symbol metaphor and this movie itself is that Godzilla is a is a living metaphor. And that works so well because sort of ironically, coming um, with what 
Godzilla has come to represent, I think that this is a movie that is very, very distinctly about the future, right? This is a movie that is looking forward. And Godzilla as a symbol, particularly a hidden symbol, like you had said, Cody, and particularly the way he is specifically characterized as something ancient that has changed as a result of human um, interference and evolved is very important, right? Because like Jason, you had said, um, this movie is about the world that will be now that nuclear proliferation is a thing. This is a movie that is examining and thinking about the consequences of what the world will become now that that is just a fact of the world. Now that we have the capacity to destroy the world, now that we have the capacity to rewrite the world in our own image, so to speak, because we have the power to do that as sort of symbolized by the atom bomb and then the hydrogen bomb, um, what does that mean, right? And particularly, what does that mean for people? What does that mean for national histories? What does that mean for the international community? And what does it mean for what comes next, right? What I really love about this movie is at no point in this movie is Godzilla really the major problem, right? In fact, like Takashi Shimura's character points out, Godzilla is almost an opportunity because he is a, he is a being, a living being that has evolved to resist radiation which up until now has been the sort of um, the end of humanity as we know it, right? And the the movie is sort of like the stakes that it posits, even sort of like long range beyond the destruction of humanity in the immediate term um, in terms of Godzilla destroying the city is that um, if we destroy Godzilla, we will lose this opportunity and we won't have a chance to sort of like render uh, nuclear annihilation or radiation a non-existential threat to humanity, yeah. right? Like there's this desperation that if Godzilla is destroyed, as he will have to be because of the way things are right now, we will never be able to overcome radiation and step into a world where humanity is not under constant existential threat. And then in fact, by the end of this movie, it becomes a story about how now that we have the A-bomb and the H-bomb, what are we going to need to build to counteract that? And will that be even worse? And will that lead humanity down ever darker paths, right? Which is how you get the like extremely stark, extremely downbeat ending of this, which is a like a non-ambiguous warning about the fact that like, remember, like it's it's unbelievable to me that this movie made in 1954 has the um the the courage and the audacity even to say that the A-bomb and the H-bomb are not the end of humanity. Something worse could well be coming. Right? It, it's like saying like Remember, the A-bomb and the H-bomb, it's really easy to think about this as a sort of existential turning point for humanity, but it doesn't mean that the, the, the world is over. The 20th century is not the end of history. Something else could be coming. Now it's on us, as it was on Sarazawa, to sort of like think about that consciously more than ever because now we have a responsibility for that, right? Because now we can see the consequences of what is going to happen. Um, and, and to me, Godzilla has always represented that, right? Like even more so than the A-bomb or the H-bomb or nuclear annihilation or climate change, what it really represents is sort of like the natural consequence of human behavior and what that could become, right? Um, and it, it, I think this movie does a really, really profoundly good job of realizing that metaphor. Two things off of that. Uh, one, I want to bring up for no particular reason that on April 15th, 2019, we covered uh, Akira Kurosawa's Stray Dog on this podcast. It was our 12th episode. Just, you know, throwing that out there. It seems maybe related or unrelated. Uh, second, 
I guess second of three things. Uh, Eric, Harry, how long, like T minus one until you have a Godzilla tattoo? Uh, I, it, it's funny you mentioned that I was going to get one before I got COVID. Uh, and then yeah. I had to stop to not infect my tattoo parlor. Uh, but I'd like really, really soon. Let's, really let's get soon. back under the gun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and thirdly, um, Aaron, how is all this going down? How, like, was your, how were you with OG Godzilla, uh, versus like now did you, do you think your perception has changed? Do you think your concept of the character of the movie has, uh, has shifted in any way or were you always right as you always are? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you answered yourself at the end. There. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, here's, let's move on. here's the thing. I, I grew up watching a lot of Godzilla movies. I don't think I had ever seen the original Godzilla, though. Very weirdly, really? probably because as a kid, you're just picking VHS, you know, off of VHSs off a shelf at you know Blockbuster. I can't remember what place it wasn't Blockbuster, but it was, it was a family video. Essentially, well, video? I mean, like also, do you something wanna, like that? Do you want to watch the somber, sad reflection on the atrocities of World War II and, and a scary metaphor about what comes next, or do you want to watch Godzilla beat the shit out of King Kong? Right. It's like, even dumber than that because it's. I don't think I ever saw the King Kong one either because the the choice was not oh the somber reflective Godzilla versus the it was here is Godzilla on the cover. Here is Godzilla and a three-headed dragon. Now, as a as a I don't know six-year-old, that choice is pretty. The easy. candidate I, I is clear. Which one I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, or a giant moth shooting laser beams out. You know, it, look, it's pretty simple. Or Takashi uh, Shimura's honestly though, King Ghidorah. Yeah. King Ghidorah was like a huge uh, like like yeah. screenwriting story tip for me because I was like, wait a minute. The villain has to be scarier and cooler than the hero. Just three that's times create, as much. Yes. That's how you create tension. Look, King Ghidorah is way cooler looking than Godzilla. Godzilla is the underdog all of a sudden. Very. And good. then once that sucks, you make it metal or a robot. And then, you know, that's kind of the, the Mario follows a very similar uh, uh, kind of trajectory. You know what I mean? Um, and then you get into no, multiverse stuff and you just, you know, and on exactly and on right. and on. Uh, but I did watch a lot of Godzilla growing up and uh, I, I, I don't remember too much about it but like yes it was always the the 1960s uh kind of through i guess like 19 it was always they were always in color i guess i'll say and and this film and then the next film godzilla raids again which i think in the u.s was uh gigantus the fire monster i guess um uh kind of the the american bastardization of that one um those were the, the kind of the two in black and white. And I don't think I saw those ones. And then I, I saw the ones in color. Um, and it, 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 you know, I, I think I had kind of uh, absorbed enough through kind of cultural osmosis to kind of understand what generally this movie is kind of going into it. Um, but with, with kind of two caveats, one, I've, I've always thought that Godzilla uh, is like very representative of all the things that we've been talking about, but also kind of a shorthand for, for people to make, like stereotypes, but also just like very, very people take shortcuts with like really taking a look at Godzilla, just kind of assuming, yeah, um, you know, yeah, it, it's Godzilla is the nuclear bombs, right? And it's complicated, but like, no, this is not a film set during World War II. This is a film in which uh, kind of the the remnants of World War II come back to redestroy post like a, a Japan that has rebuilt, right? Like that. That's kind of like just an important little nuance that's often like left out there. Um, but then also just kind of comparing this film to later Godzilla films, it is like it is kind of striking how different in tone um, and even like function this film is. Uh, and that like 
Godzilla really got dumbed down quite a bit. And I don't mean to shit down shit on later Godzilla films, but like it it is kind of I think like the later Godzilla films seem to me more like similar to uh, what Japan was doing uh, with like wrestling uh, post World War Two, where they would bring in like uh, uh, kind of American wrestlers very specifically to like lose versus like these new wave of Japanese wrestlers. Right. And it very much was about Japan kind of creating this kind of media that that was subconsciously maybe, but kind of pushing forward uh, a certain narrative. And I don't mean that critically because I think all popular media does that. Um, But like Godzilla is not doing that. Godzilla is like a very brutal film in a lot of ways. There's a lot of like really dark stuff around like, People slowly dying of radiation. It's um, wild, dude. There's like so chilled, many people getting evaporated. Yeah. yeah, there's like there's that cutaway in like the big scene where there's just a woman with her two children, and she's like, "We're gonna go where daddy is now," and like highly implying that that their father was killed in World War Two. Yes, and then, like, it, yes. It, it, they aren't saved. Like they just cut away from those that woman and those children, and they died. And like that's it. There's the reporter. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many scenes in this that are just like wild. Kids in the hospital, yeah. Geiger counters going off, you know, ticking away. Um, yes, it is. It is very direct in a, in a way that is kind of um, uh, refreshing. Is the wrong word, but I think you get what I'm going for with that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I really, I really enjoyed watching this one. And also, you know, as somebody who enjoys kind of campiness in this manner, I do enjoy kind of the old school. Um, you know, it, it, it is fun to read about the kind of limitations of working with this kind of original Godzilla suit, you know, the, the actor not being able really to lift their feet at all. Right. They had to they had to stop filming after like 20 minutes because like the suit did not expel any heat. So he was just like trapped in uh, the suit oh, with just like sweating. Crap. Yep. <laughs> yes. Because they, 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 the, the actor would just like fall over and actors would need to like help the guy in the suit up because he could not pick himself you mean, up. You mean much um, like the Japanese great. people were locked in with the trauma and uh, despair of uh, national tragedy that had Keep occurred going. less than a decade before that. You, you, mean, like that? Now, buddy. you mean like that? And, and, and how they needed a release valve through their popular culture and entertainment media to call them to action and, and consider what that trauma was, what impact that trauma was having on an entire generation on multiple generations. Like the fact that this movie pulls in it's not just like oh the old heads remember or the you know like it's it's going after you know it's not even so pointed as that as to be like godzilla has targets it's like literally everybody in japan is at threat yes it's attacking one part of tokyo but it's broadcast everywhere um and the other thing that well i'll let i'll let harry go because it seems like that probably sparked an idea oh sure well i I mean i just this is also something Aaron wrote about in his review, continuing our grand tradition of always shouting out Aaron's letterboxed reviews. But um, it's also something that Shin Godzilla made a really, really pointed um, commentary on. And in that movie, it was sort of a, a metaphor for the tsunami that had just hit um, in prior years. Um, but in this movie, like the the way that Godzilla is so destructive is also a commentary on just the way that human beings live and need to live in a hyper dense society, right? Like the reason why Godzilla and Japan are so inexorably linked is, is also because Tokyo is just a very dense city that is very close to water that, and so Godzilla has always also been a metaphor for tsunamis and other natural disasters and about how, the natural way that human beings in our world and our sort of like mechanized society have to live in concentration with one another also creates these situations where natural disasters can have a um, 
a greater effect and greater casualty on human life than ever before. And so like, that is why it's so important in this movie that like the, the effect Godzilla is having is always being examined from both the, like the lowest level possible in fishing uh, villages and whatnot, and in sort of like hyper industrialized ways, right? Like we are examining the ways in which the fact that Tokyo is set up the way it is, is creating the, um, the effect that Godzilla is having as much as, if not more than Godzilla itself, right? Like, like the effect or the destruction that Godzilla is, is wreaking is not only because Godzilla is there, it's also because the city is there to be destroyed, yeah, yeah, right? And like, yeah. that is very important to the Godzilla metaphor and always has been. And man, do they expel that out explicitly, right? Like there's both the reporting scene that we already mentioned, and there's this like unbelievably harrowing and sad scene uh, with commuters on a Tokyo train, right? Where like yeah. the commuters are like, oh, uh, I, I heard that Godzilla is getting close to Tokyo Bay. We're going to have to evacuate again. And one of the other commuters is like, I'm tired of evacuating. I barely made it out of Nagasaki. And now like oh, we're yeah. going to have to, we're going to have to evacuate again. And it's like, holy shit. Like yeah. just in, just in case you thought that Godzilla, like maybe we were making up these connections. It's like, no, it's as textual as they could make it. Like, this is not a subtle movie. Like this is just, very much about that. Yeah. She says just made it out of Nagasaki. And it's like, I, that obviously would be a very impactful event. Nine, it's been like nine years, right? <laughs> like, but to like the, the connection is like still made as if mm-hmm. like, we a week ago, I just barely made it out of there, and now Godzilla's it's attacking that again. Fresh, right? It's like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was Which literally about to say that would phrase. Be, right. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. look, we're still making movies with all sorts of nine eleven psychology built into them, so you know. And we don't. Sense. And we didn't even earn that. You know, that was a tiny, yeah, yeah, a t- just a tiny fraction of a fraction. Uh, the other thing that struck me while watching this movie was. Um, <clears throat> I've just been tuned. I don't know if it's because it's by American releases or if it's because just the direction that the Godzilla series has gone or the impact that like sequels had, but not once in this movie did anybody say like three ships have gone down in the harbor. Who did it? Was it the Russians or the Chinese? Like nobody, nobody <laughs> uh, implied imp- yes. international like uh, subterfuge or like there was never like the command, the war room that said like, oh no, he's at it again. We got to, you know. That's such crucial. a good like, point. Holy shit. That, because that did, like that this never isn't happened. a Cold War movie. That never came around. And I, yeah. I guess I'm just, I, yeah, it, it must be like post-Cold War stuff that just throws everybody's mind into a panic about like who is attacking us. It's like, no, well, and I mean, we have people who have died. No, I'm, let's figure out what's happened. Not yeah, let's go figure ahead, out Aaron. where to go ahead. Well, even even so, there's kind of there's 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 two things. So the first is that the the U.S. like very much uh, like not controlled, but like oversaw. Uh, uh, I mean, Japan as an entire country for yeah, years and years. They weren't allowed to have war, a standing but, military. They still don't. Yes, uh, but even even media and such was very much like U.S. censorship was like very much uh, impactful on on films like Godzilla, right? Which explains mm-hmm. why nobody. Uh, so so. Yeah, uh, so one one of the events that kind of led uh, to and like influenced this film was uh, I believe, I believe the name the translation is would be the Lucky Dragon Number Five incident, which was a ship uh, I believe earlier in 1954 uh, that came into an area that the U.S. had been testing uh, I believe uh, hydrogen bombs in, um, and many of the people there uh, got in you know infected with radiation and whatnot. I believe only one person actually passed away due to that. I think it was a captain. Um, but the rest of the the members of the crew were like generally okay and lived to an old age. Right. But that was like, it was a very 
uh, important event in like Japanese like media and society because there was a a large gulf where like yes you know the bombs were dropped uh, the war ended um, but like there was kind of an absence uh, of like direct mentions of uh, you know nuclear weapons and and testing and whatnot in Japanese media and uh, uh, you know kind of the news and whatnot and that event kind of like brought things back up into light like very very quickly right. At the same time, uh, you know, U.S. kind of acting as kind of this this mediary uh, between, you know, uh, uh, Japan and their culture and, and kind of their impact uh, on a large global scale. Um, an aspect of this that doesn't get talked about a lot is that uh, despite kind of some of those shorthands that I mentioned earlier, there is a very weird... Uh, like tension that is created um, when there is a country that is that is so very clearly the cause of quite a lot of suffering uh, to a lot of Japanese people uh, due to stuff in the war and then the bombs, bombs being dropped, but also is uh, a very close partner in a lot of ways a very short time after the war, right? I think a lot of people just assume that just like Japan and Japanese uh, pol- politics and culture just like hated the United States. Um, but the U.S. was like Japan's like number one or two largest trading partner, like something like four or five years after the war, right? Uh, It is very complicated. That relationship is very, very complicated, even a few years after that. And so like, yeah, it is very weird that like nobody is saying like, was America responsible for this due to testing Mm -hmm. these weapons, right? Is Godzilla doesn't go and start attacking New York City, right? He just starts attacking Tokyo. um, And it's like, it's due to a lot of these very complex kind of cultural reasons, okay. I think. Which, I mean, I think I think that's a big part of why um, Godzilla has come to be sort of symbolic of this almost apolitical fear and an- existential anxiety that the Japanese have. Because it's like, oh, it's not... It's not a symbol of America. Godzilla is not America here. He is just the atom bomb, right? And, and right. the idea is that like, oh, this is about the anxiety of people who are now living in a world... Um, in which they do not have the power that other superpowers have that could end them immediately. And they have seen that effect on them and they're thinking through that, right? I think that that's, I mean, it's, it's easy to see how the prevalent narrative of Godzilla has become that in the, in the absence of more pointed sort of like politicalization of this movie. Um, But I think that that has also had the effect that we're talking about of sort of dampening or diluting a lot of the other uh, metaphors that we've talked about here, right? Yeah. And especially that sort of like very um, high-minded, not quite to a fault, but this idea that like um, naturally the consequences of creating a world in which the atom bomb exists will inevitably lead to the sort of consequences that we see play out in this movie, right? In sort of metaphor. Yeah, I, I can't say for sure, but I, I, I would need to do a lot more research to like say this with like full-throatedly, but like I do kind of wonder if that uh, kind of apolitical or um, specifically Japanese uh, a context around this film, um, which I guess I should say is not a, a criticism. I always thought this was weird when I was watching a lot of Godzilla movies when I was younger is like Godzilla always Japa- attacks Japan. The people who, uh, you know, uh, repel Godzilla or kind of repel Mothra or whoever. It's always the Japanese, right? We never very rarely do we hear about yeah, uh, you know, Russian planes coming in to assist or, uh, you know, uh, there were more American troops than there were Japanese troops, right, uh, in 1954 uh, in Japan, right? Why don't we see American planes and and, and, and tanks and whatnot? 
Um, and I don't mean that as a specific criticism of Japan, because I think you get the same thing. I, I've wondered when watching James Bond films, who gives a shit about the fucking British Secret Service in 2006, right? Ch- China is a bigger global uh, world player. Like, why is there an, why is there not a Chinese spy uh, in this film, right? American yeah, movies, I, I aliens always attack New York City. James Bond movies. But, but like, it's like the, the people who save the day are the people who uh, are producing the film and financially funding the film. And like, yes, the aliens are going to blow up New York. They're not going to blow up, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mexico City, right? Um, and I don't, yeah, so I don't mean that as a specific criticism of like Japanese media, but I, I do think it is interesting that it is kind of morphed into uh, this kind of apolitical, like, I think you still see that today where like in a, a lot of Godzilla films and whatnot, and I haven't seen some of the more recent ones uh, that do appear to have this kind of global focus, but like even up through the 60s and the 80s, uh, a lot of these movies were very like hyper-focused on solely Japan uh, even as the film spoke to this kind of larger mm-hmm. kind of like global cultural context. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad we brought up this political context because it's in obviously like I'm first of all, I'm a white dude, right? I'm not a Japanese scholar. I'm not a scholar on Japanese American relations, but like there, there is like very much a prevalent narrative following world war two and all the way up until like today um, where like Media, especially the sort of defanged, uh, like censorship, depoliticized media of Japan, has been used specifically often by American people. Yeah. And because of that relationship that American Japan had following World War II to kind of infantilize Japan, or like, I guess, to very much to both exotify yeah. and sort of infantilize Japan, there's a lot of like the quote unquote weird Japan that's come to be associated with like anime or just Japanese subcultures in general. Um, And Godzilla is like a really interesting lens in which to view that, right? Because of the ways that um, Godzilla was like commercialized because of uh, American response to this movie in particular, like you had said, Jason, it was like a funny creature feature in America quite often. And like, that is very much how Godzilla came to be in the following years. And like we said, like, it's not a cut and dry narrative. I'm not saying that like, Oh, because of American pressures and political pressures, they repackaged Godzilla to be this thing that would be palatable to American audiences because like Toho is a Japanese company. Godzilla was always mm-hmm. a to- Japanese property. I'm not even saying that Toho like corroborated with American people. I don't think that like it's it's not necessarily a um, decision making process that was conscious and handled by a few people so much as like Godzilla and the nuance of that metaphor and that commercialization of Godzilla. It sort of like eerily parallels a lot of the sort of Japanese American relationship that went on in the second half of the 20th century in some really interesting and often like kind of sad ways, right? Yeah, the the uh, when this film was brought over to the United States uh, as it was kind of Americanized as Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, most of the references to nuclear power testing bombs uh, were it was just kind of like completely removed uh, from the American version. Right. Um, very weirdly. So I think there's like a, a very an interesting parallel between uh, this conversation and kind of what we talked about with like. Uh, kind of Hong Kong and like Chinese like martial arts films, right? Where like they get kind of repackaged uh, uh, as they're kind of brought over, you know, to America and England and other areas. Um, but I do think that it it is there is something about Godzilla that like, despite that kind of repackaging, um, 
has kind of survived regardless to where I, I think that that image of Godzilla, you know, I, I think that, the, you know, there's probably more of like a, a feels kind of shitty to say this, but like in the like kind of the new pretty shitty Godzilla movies that just came out like in the last few years. Like, I think there is more of a, a kind of a recognition of Godzilla as this kind of stand in for nuclear power uh, than there was in like these films when they were originally brought over to the United States. Right. Um, I don't, time changes stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's worth noting too, that like, it's it's really weird and interesting to follow the course of that evolving metaphor, right? And particularly the the evolving metaphor of even the commercialized version of Godzilla, because like you follow you follow the Godzilla metaphor, and it's like I and again I can't speak to intent. I don't know that there was necessarily pointed intent because that's just not how these things work with with multimedia properties like this. But like specifically the ways in which like Japan was sort of it was sort of infantilized or exotified for an economic purpose, right? It was like, we have to sort of control the xenophobia specifically of Japan in order to continue to be such economic trade partners with them and benefit from the relationship that we have with them. But we also can't sort of like forget the history of World War II. And so like the way that we did that was by sort of like, it, in a in a weird way, what ultimately ended up happening was this sort of like um, this idealization and compartmentalization of this sort of idea of Japan as this sort of like offbeat, cutesy almost uh, like child culture uh, to yeah. America, where it was like, oh, like look at look at their weird um, anime, look at their weird like monster movies, look at their weird you know, porn was like a big part of it as well. And like, that was like a way for like, particularly Western perception of Japan to sort of like, like defang the Japanese nationalism of world war two and the fear that people had for it in order to benefit from like Japan's booming economy in the 1980s and the proliferation of Japanese electronics technology in the 1970s and eighties without sort of like, while still keeping them like under our thumb, so to speak, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting how like even now the modern conceptions of Godzilla sort of maintain that, um, that and especially the Western conceptions of Godzilla maintain that, that sort of distancing or othering of the Japanese people in that specific sort of fetishistic way. Yeah, I mean, you can... I mean, just look eight years after this, right? Like after Godzilla Raids again as the second film, third film would be King Kong versus Godzilla in which King Kong, this kind of, uh, yes, from a, an island, right? But this kind of American cultural icon would be coming over to Japan, beating, uh, spoiler alert, uh, he beats Godzilla in that one. Uh, although I'm with her, I don't buy that. That doesn't, seems like kind of BS to me. Yeah, Godzilla could shoot, you know, fire the opposable thumbs, and whatnot. Bro. It's the opposable thumbs. Yeah, but like, yeah, King Kong would come over, beat Godzilla, uh, save Japan from uh, this existential threat. And then also, uh, you know, there's the scene of, of Godzilla kind of holding the woman in his hand, except, oh, it's a Japanese woman this time. Right. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of 
oh, I mean, stuff like, wrapped up in all that. <laughs> in the, like, I think it was, like, 2008 or something, but, like, in Godzilla Final Wars, there is a scene in which the Japanese Godzilla symbolically forgives the American people for dropping the bombs <laughs> in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So it's, like... They shake hands. Yeah, they, shit, shit is, like, The kids up, play in the park like, together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, Godzilla hoists an American flag, and he sort of, like, looks at it respectfully. No, I don't know. So which one was that? Uh... I think that's Final Wars, isn't it? Final. Okay, that's like later, later, later. Okay, that's like early 2000. Yeah, because yeah, I, I was going to say that there is a, uh, you know, as, you know, the J- Japan in the 1960s was quite a quite a bit different than Japan in the 1940s, certainly, but even the 1950s, right? Like J- Japan in the 1960s was in kind of a boom, right? A lot of that was kind of, yeah, being, you know, what kind of large trading partners to yeah, the West with kind of scare quotes, right? But like and the capitalism. economy was booming. Yeah, technology was like like you know, especially like Japanese technology and products and media were like really starting to kind of pick up commercially. Um, and it was a different place, right? Like, still feel free to like read a lot into you know Godzilla movies changing and whatnot. But I think there is you know there are reasons that like Godzilla started you know body slamming dragons and stuff versus uh shooting i mean i mean godzilla would like after this and after maybe then i've I've not seen godzilla raids again but like after this godzilla would like fight monsters well away from urban centers he was he would not he was like oh he's he's avoided tokyo this time it's like planets yes it's like godzilla is being nice and not stepping on the hospital at daycare center he recognized the tactical advantage to having an open (laughs) field then his opponent has no real uh no real leg up we need to make Godzilla like really nasty because like same thing with like the the shitty American movies, right? That I guess <laughs> give, are co-productions. Give him, a, but, like, give him a bottle the size of like a skyscraper he can break and slash his opponent's eyes with. Godzilla. Little, well, we did. It's Shin Godzilla. Gatsuki. We got the yeah, little, okay. got yeah. little Godzilla. <laughs> True. Ugh. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, that's a really good point, and like it it speaks to um, like in addition to everything we've talked about, like Godzilla is also a raging symbol of capitalism in sort of an inadvertent way, right? Like Godzilla was a hyper successful um, media franchise that Toho controlled. And it became an international symbol of sort of like that relationship because of how much money it was making everybody involved. And like you follow the money and you use what you have in order to make it as profitable as possible. And that's how you get things like the fact that, uh, originally, Godzilla versus King Kong, we talked about this a little bit after the show, was a German production that was written as Godzilla versus Frankenstein. And Godzilla was going to fight a giant Frankenstein because Frankenstein is the most recognizable German monster, right? And Sorry, wait, what? How? Yeah. Did you know that? I'm thinking about side. Well, yeah, it's a giant Frankenstein. No, he's a giant <laughs> Frankenstein. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why in the, okay. the final script that we see, there is a moment in Godzilla versus King Kong where Godzilla knocks down uh, King Kong and he looks like he's out for the count and then he gets electrocuted. And the yeah, electrocution uh, yes. brings back King Kong because... Like, Jesus of, is, like, blessing... King, like, no, nah, <laughs> you're not down for the count on this one, buddy. It rocks, because it's, like, it's <laughs> supposed to be Frankenstein getting recharged from the electricity, but it's just Godzilla okay, now, yeah. and they just left it all the same way. And so, yeah, it's... It, but, like, there it is, right? Like, that is how you show that, like, oh, I get it. Like, Japan and America and, I guess, the whole world post-World War II... Um, it like found this way back toward internationalization via capitalism. And it 
I think Godzilla, in sort of interesting and invertent ways, explores the dark and underbelly of that, right? It explores what yeah. happens when capitalism is the way toward international relationships. It explores the ways in which uh, Japan is sort of fetishized, infantilized, exotified, othered, um, and the ways in which money and the people in control of those properties internationally um, sort of grease the wheels toward those relationships. Um, in in ways that are both good and often very bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know I know Nick did this on our Seven Samurai episode, but I really really effed up by not doing a summary for the 1998 uh, Emmerich Godzilla as the summary for this film yeah, at the beginning. The Gino, yeah. Oh, that would have been good. Harry would have killed me. Is would've the I guess funny. the he would have put out a hit on me. Maybe not. He would not have done it himself. Maybe, I, but yeah. I have friends. Shout out to my friend Sam. Uh, that is their favorite of the Godzilla films. Uh, okay. Sorry, it's movie. time to it's time to wrap it up. It's time yeah. To yeah. I know. I I completely agree. It's there, there's also a very funny scene in Godzilla: Final Wars where the Japanese Godzilla uh, picks up the American Godzilla from that movie, which Toho renamed <laughs> Zilla, just Zilla, and just like fucking tears it in half and throws it into a building Hell and it dies yeah. like no problem. And it, it's it's very funny. It's that's we like just, the only uh, scene that that we one just is got, in. And, we just got done talking about how Godzilla is not just a bomb, and then. Emmerich makes a movie where Godzilla just bombs completely. That's true, I that 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 we we don't have to talk too much about it, but like that redesign of Godzilla is maybe the most shameful. Just like awful, just the that just Godzilla the looks fo- like such focused, shit. Focus tested so Jurassic bad. Park bullshit. Yeah, I need to see a ch- a chunky boy with a big tail, and I need That's to see right. some spikes. I do not need to see a little lean Tyrannosaurus Rex thing. No, get that. That's Jurassic Park. Get that out. By the way, Jurassic Park just like. Totally, like the the footprints like, in the sand. I mean, yeah, it yeah. totally took from this how do you, a lot how of do you device. how do you envision Godzilla and think what he needs is a bigger face, what he needs is more teeth, <laughs> what he needs is a bigger like who who he already he already can already fit entire tra- he can already yeah. fit entire train cars in his mouth. What more do you need for him to be intimidating? The only good things. redesigns of Godzilla are the ones that make him freakier. He is either you have to go either yes. classic Godzilla or you have to go something that is just fucking horrifying to look upon. Oh, sure. Right? Okay. Just like a giant fucking freak ass monster. It's one of <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that Godzilla like like Godzilla should be fighting the really like really bad. At, like I don't need to see yeah. Godzilla sprout yeah, an extra head or like, I don't even like when Godzilla gets like the full Super Saiyan like energy flowing through him. I'm like I don't I don't need I don't need that. every once in a while Maybe at the climax, but like I Godzilla like, should I like be just like a chunky Godzilla, fella. But I understand I what you do. mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we should probably. Honestly, this isn't the only Godzilla movie we're going to talk about on this podcast. So we should probably save a little bit of it for the pod, even while we're on the pod. Not to cut the conversation yeah. short, but save it um, for the pod on the pod. Save it for They're the pod. Screening the 1998 Godzilla. Oh, oh my god! Are they? Wait, are they? I no, I don't no, think they're so. They're just okay. doing the ones directed no. by the Ishiro Honda directed films. That's good. Okay. That said. I will open the floodgates now to any remaining thoughts, any final ideas or things that caught your eye while watching the movie. Um, I feel like we we would be remiss not to discuss the love triangle that comes to be a very important part of this film. I know we've been going on for a while, but just like Sarozawa is a really good character, right? Like he designs the oxygen destroyer. It's highly implied, not outright stated, but like following Japan's defeat in World War II, he sort of becomes punished snake 
where like he loses an yes. eye and he like he like reappropriates his research to a video game code. Yeah, to oh, to make another you. sort of like weapon. He ultimately makes a weapon of mass destruction that is even more terrifying than the A bomb or the H bomb. He is so afraid to use it that he wants to destroy it. And then like this the fallout from this relationship that he had where he like the the woman he was going to marry be, before he became Punished Snake before World War II changed him. She ultimately is the person who hands over his designs to um, her new fiance, the man who didn't participate in World Damn. War II, it's implied, in order to stop Godzilla and bring about the sort of like very symbolic tragedy that I discussed, right? Where like we have ma- maybe now started um, in motion events that will only lead to more and more weapons, more and more Godzillas, and a more and more anti-human um, world, right? Where like Sarazawa didn't want to use the oxygen destroyer. He ended up being prompted to because the consequences of Godzilla's existence were going to be so dire that he had no choice. But that does, just as the A-bomb and the H-bomb did, open the floodgates to this being used. He tries to counteract that heroically, um, and that becomes the sort of human and mission-focused point of the movie. But uh, what did you guys yeah. think about that? Because that that is always the thing that surprises me most about this movie is that there is a love triangle and it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's going to be part of the movie really until the very end when it is the plot of the movie. Shirazawa doesn't really ever indicate that he is like ever attracted. I mean, does he? No, kind of? not really. I mean, he, he's like, he's like, he's like, look, I'm into my work. I don't really care. About yeah, he's it. attracted to innovation, dude. He used to be. That's... I mean, back when he was a, yeah. when, when he was a whole man, but then World War II happened and he became, it broke him. Yeah. He became punished snake and he, he like, he doesn't have time for that anymore. She says that, uh, she's always thought of him as a brother and she still Amico, does. Yeah. That's a brutal point. thing. Brutal. Fellas, oh hey, fellas, God. if you hear that one, wrap it up. It's, it's rough. It's You're so done. Funny Pack that, it up like, and go home. Before yeah. we're even introduced to the mad scientist, we're introduced to the fact that he was cuckolded over World War II. And it's like, holy shit, like nothing good could come he of feels, this. He feels so friend zoned. He throws himself in the ocean and blows himself up. No, Ogata is kind of a, a love boat. Like he, he's a good looking fella. You know what I mean? He's rocking and, the white shirt. And then they, and, so, then they, you know? and then they do the the uh, headband thing where they tie it in the ah, front, and they're come like, "Come on, on. Yeah. come on." I know, I know the year that. of the simp is over, by the way. But like, also, uh, Momoko Kochi in this movie is so so attractive. Uh, every time, it's like that is a very very beautiful woman. It really distracts me from Godzilla. So apologies. Oh, this oh, is Aries episode. A man. I guess we got to let him. I couldn't keep my eyes away from Godzilla. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, only have eyes. Me. I'd let him bite my train car in half while I was riding in it. Hmm. <sighs> Simp. Um, I would yeah. be the the reporter who's like, it really looks as though Godzilla is about to kill us all. Goodbye, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Goodbye. He's like, this, this really is it. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a he's... going down with a ship sort of situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Doing funny. his job to the end. Very funny. Respectable. I really love um, that. I, I was really pleased with the Sarazawa stuff um, because it like it is it has the like emotional romantic pull of a of a of a love triangle and like that becomes part of the plot later on. But it is like ultimately about this person who feels powerless in how much power he has. Like the only route forward to him is to destroy his research, to detonate his weapon and to kill himself to make sure nobody else repurposes it in the future, which is astonishingly sad the movie actually ends at that point there is no triumph in this movie it is simply like 
it, it yeah. is like this like like Harry was saying there will be a next one probably and we, like all we can do is be slightly thankful that we've managed to like put away this one that we've like handled what's in front of us I it's also not where I expected this movie to end uh, given the provenance of Godzilla's for the remaining 60 years that they've been made you know no totally and in the same ways that like the the sequences with uh, Godzilla uh, on the attack you know, ravaging these, these villages, killing people like in the same, uh, same sort of way that those scenes are so like, they're so drawn out, you know, they, they, it feels like, like they're really patient. And like the fact that they are so harrowing is, uh, I mean, it, it is a plus, which fe- not to be like insensitive, but like, that's to the, like that, that is important. And spending most of the third act to like, lay down every beat of this discussion of like, should we do this? Should we not do it? Really just like exploring all the nooks and crannies of this again, to make this one of the most textual movies period. Um, like that's, that's certainly not, uh, you know, not a bad thing and, um, a punished snake or whatever the hell you were calling him. Yeah. It's like, you need a love triangle to shoehorn that guy in there. Sure. So be it. It it seemed worthwhile to me. I'm not a gamer. And uh, Jason, like the the ending that you spoke of, it's I think it's so important because it's so somber, and it's also like it really strikes me as truly the only answer, right? It's like, oh, at Sarazawa is almost sort of like there's this great sort of almost Greek tragic like inevitability to his research, where it was like science just led here, like science got to the A bomb and the H bomb. And it's like, is it because of who we are as people? Is it human nature? Is it the function of our societies or the way the world powers work? Who knows? But like the the answer is like, we got it. Like we got to the point where humanity can destroy the world, can destroy itself. And yeah. like Sarazawa encapsulates that tragedy, right? Where it's like he, his breakthrough is also the, the greatest failure of his life in that way, right? Like he has designed something that is even greater than the H-bomb or the A-bomb. And it's like, okay, so what happens now? Like now that we've arrived at this point where we are capable of creating things like Godzilla and then creating things that can destroy Godzilla. And and we've sort of locked ourselves into this endless path where it's like the next existential threat can only be conquered by creating an even greater, more terrible existential threat. Just like it is, right? Just like actually what's happening to humanity at this point in 1954 like, what does that mean? How do we respond to it? And the answer has to be like responsibility, right? Like we have to directly confront now that that is a truth that exists in the world and we have to take steps to disarm it however we can, however, whatever sacrifices we have to make, whatever sort of like way we need to restructure the way the world is. And like the the movie doesn't even end on the point that like it will be enough, right? Like I think if anything, this movie says it probably won't be enough, right? Like Sarozawa sacrificed himself. He made the ultimate sacrifice in order to make sure that his work wouldn't uh, become something even worse than Godzilla. And the movie ends with Takashi Shimura saying, as long as there are more H-bomb tests, there will be more Godzillas. There will be more oxygen destroyers. There will be a next worst threat. Um, And it's like, that is, especially in 1954, like that is exactly like the true way to think about what has become of the world. Right. And it's like, it should be somber and it should be worried about it. And I think that it, like it ends right on the right note for that. Right. And even like, even the interpersonal connections that it weaves, right. It's like, um, like none of those people will get to have the lives that they could or should have had. Right. Because instead 
they have to become the people that they have to be in this new world that we live in now. And that that's true of all three of the people that are involved in this love triangle. And it's true of everyone now, right? Like, I think that that's what the movie ultimately says is that like, in a world of Godzilla, we have to become different people than we might've been. And that's just the way it has to be. Um, and it's, it's brutal, but it's, it's, it's true. devastating. Yeah. Uh, a good time at the movies, but also a really harrowing uh, piece of, of filmmaking. Really, again, a surprise to me uh, as somebody who casually knew the the lore and the mythos and the provenance of the series, but it's enriching it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the series uh, at the Trilon, enriching it further. Um, but for right now, uh, we've got one more segment left to the show, and I think I need Harry's help to ring it in. Yes, thank you, Jason. It is the segment we like to call... <gasps> Cody's noties. Damn, wow. baritone. Dang, thank yeah. Uh, that's what happens when you get sick. Um, yeah, thank you, gentlemen, for that introduction. That truly was the bomb. Um, y- yikes. Uh, as we know uh, very well by now, Godzilla is an incredibly important uh, figure, uh, a very important film, and certainly one of the most important Japanese films ever made. And to investigate some other important films that come to us from Japan. We're going to play a little Try Love Feud. Uh, and to put it explicitly, today's theme, uh, it, it's going to be the most popular movies on Letterboxd that had all or part of their production take place in Japan. Um, I'm going to lose this so bad. I'm going to lose this so bad. I saw that two-man we game you were playing, you and Harry. Yeah. I find oh, yeah. that hard to believe. Um, but yeah, it, it, so it is now, I'll just say it is now that I'll Note that Trivia Mafia rules are in effect for the rest of this segment. And by that, I mean use your noodles and not your Googles or your letterboxes to find the answers you seek. Um, And for those listening at home who are unaware, this is going to be an experience only somewhat adapted from the famous game show Family Feud. What I've done is I've collected the top 25 films on Letterboxd ranked by popularity and filtered by country of production to get us entries for uh, for Japan. What I will do is ask each of you fellas one at a time for a guess of a movie included in the list. Every guess comes with a 10 second window. And to get a point, you'll need to correctly guess a movie that is on the list during your turn within the 10 second window. Uh, there are also going to be three strikes per person. That's a baseball thing. Three strikes and you're out. Uh, if you get three strikes, you're out for the remainder of the game. Uh, that kind of goes against type with baseball to give you additional opportunities, but not in this game. Uh, if you make an incorrect guess, so you know you guess a movie that's not on the list, you'll get a strike. If you have a correct movie and you guess it, but you state an incomplete title of the movie, you'll get a strike. And if you fail to guess a movie before your 10-second window is up, I will announce that time is up and you'll get a strike. So I would just always recommend guessing a movie, even if you think it's wrong, uh, because that'll be fun content for the pod on this free feed of Podcast Networks Incorporated. Uh, the order for this game is going to be Aaron, Harry, Jason. Um, so yeah, alphabetical by first name order. Whenever it's the next person's turn, I will say that person is on the clock, and that's when I'll start silently counting down. And or if our super producer wants, they may pipe in some appropriate background music. Again, only if they want. Um, I'll leave it at that. One last thing, the film that we discussed uh, on the pod today is number 73 on this list, so not in the top uh, 25. So that's that's a freebie for y'all. Um, just putting that out there. The winner is going to be the person with the most correctly guessed movies. Are there any questions you guys have? Can I ask, can you state the criteria for the movies we are, they are movies that they mostly, they entirely take place in Japan? Is that correct? So, uh, 
Uh, so on Letterboxd, there's a filter under, I believe it's the details section of each uh, uh-huh. movie's page where it lists, it just lists uh, like country of production. Sometimes okay. that country of production, there's just going to be one. Sometimes there are multiple. Uh, and this is going to be any movie that has Japan as like a, like a country of production, basically. Okay. So that could, so be... it might be, it might be the only country. Yeah. There might, it might be one of a few. Okay. I got you. Yeah. That's a good question. Boss. Okay. Nice. Yeah. All right. right. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. I've got I've got the list up here, and we've got the order. Um, first up on the list, every it's a clean slate for everybody. No strikes, no points. First guess of the game uh, goes to Aaron Grossman. Aaron, you are on the clock. Uh, spirited away. Son of a bitch. I knew it. I mean, I knew I, it. I mean, but son well, of a bitch. There's plenty you got here, man. I, I mean, there's not plenty. Give, give, me, give me the... Yeah. Spirited away is the guess. Number two, three... I'm sorry, Aaron. Uh, yeah, that's number one yeah. on the list. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at one point, Aaron, no strikes received. Uh, it's uh, every guess, every correct guess is worth one point. So yeah, that's one for Aaron. And it theoretically gets more difficult from here as the number one entry on the list has been eliminated. Uh, we're going to move down the line to Harry. Harry, you are on the clock. I think I'm going to start with drive my car. Harry is going to start... By driving his car and drive my car is number 11 on the list. Number 11. Got a hot start here, fellas. Uh, so that is a point for Harry. No strikes received for that guess. We're going to move down the line to Jason. Jason, you are on the clock. My neighbor Totoro. Hey, let's go. Hey, let's go. We're happy as can be, or at least Jason is, because he got a point for guessing the number four film on the list. My neighbor Totoro. So that is a clean round these gents here uh points received across the board one point apiece the score is tied i'm vamping a little too long we're gonna go back to aaron aaron you are on the clock uh princess mononoke (laughs) princess mononoke is the guess princess mononoke is number six on this list uh so aaron gets another point still clear of strikes no strikes received yet We'll see who the first person who gets a strike buys around for everybody on the pod. I, I didn't say that. Did somebody hear that? Somebody say that? I heard um, that. Okay. Well, nice. Uh, we're, we're moving down the line to Harry. Harry, you are on the clock. You know, I'd love to do that, Cody. I'd love to buy you all around. So I think I'm going to go with something that's a little bit weird. Uh, I'm going to go with Demon Slayer Kimitsu no Yaba Mugen Train. Yep, not even close. That is not on the list. Nice attempt, Harry. Uh, that, is, that is surprising, though, because didn't that no, like beat list. out? Uh, that's not on the list. It's. I think it's the Demon highest Slayer, grossing the Demon movie Slayer that movie? Japan ever. Well, yeah, yeah. but I guess is Letterboxd used yeah. by a lot of people in Japan? Yes. I don't know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is not on the list. Um, Valley. Uh, uh, I'm just kidding. A valiant guess. I wanted to be extra harsh to the person who got the first strike. Um, but yes, that is not on the list. Regrettably, I mean, don't like not being extra harsh because it's me. We both know that it's fine. Look, you're you're flying so high on this Godzilla episode. <laughs> we, we gotta we gotta make sure you can fit through. Clip doors his wings a little bit. Recording yeah. is done. Yeah, um, we're moving down to Jason for Jason's second guest. Jason, you are on the clock. Uh, I'm gonna go with a fun one too. I'm gonna say Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift is the guess. And that, a that regrettably, unfortunately, does Ooh. not make the cut of the top 25. Can you imagine so how hype we all would have been, though? I would have fucking oh, yelled. I would have started would playing crazy. the fucking song in the background. <laughs> you know. there are, hey, uh, still, uh, I will say, still a lot of a lot of time, a lot of movies remaining to get hype for. A lot of, some 
maybe some previous episodes on the list too yeah. remains to be seen. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Uh, I'll, Aaron, I'll we're back you to you. Aaron, you're on the clock. Uh, can I do Akira? Aaron is going to guess Akira. And the Akira fruit is nine on is the list. So low hanging. Do you understand, folks? It's just right there. You can just grab it. So nice. It, it was really stupid of Dangles. me to try to be interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that that is a shirt that is coming to the Tri Love Shop ASAP. Uh, moving down. Uh, speaking of uh, quips, Harry, we're over to you for your third guess. Harry's got one strike. Uh, let's see if he can close the gap between himself and Aaron, who just took a commanding three-one-one lead. Harry, you are on the clock. Yeah, um, I'm going to guess Redbeard. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to use. Uh, I'm going to go with Seven Samurai. Harry is going with Seven Samurai, and I'm sorry, Harry. No, it, it's number thirteen. Yep. So that that is a point for Harry. Seven Samurai at number mm. thirteen. Regrettably, not number seven, but hey, what can you do? Uh, so uh, three, two, one in the order of Her- uh, Aaron, Harry, Jason, rather, excuse me. We're going to move back down to Jason. Jason, you are on the clock. I'm going to go for audition. Ooh, Jason goes for audition. Not on the list, but I love that guess. Man, uh, that's on my watch list. Uh, you've seen it, haven't you, Jason? I or did I last year. You did? Nice. You liked it? I did last year. Nice. It's pretty wild. Good. Okay, uh, it, it is pretty wild. Last year, uh, back to Aaron, who does not have yeah. any strikes. Um, so uh, let's see if he can keep this streak up. What's Aaron, this I see above the me? There's another piece of fruit right there. I, I, let me pull this down. What's it say? It says your name. The fruit says your name. Your name. Yeah. Is the guess. Your name is number seven on this list. Aaron Grossman running a, a little bit of a gauntlet here. So no strikes received. That is four points. For Aaron, we're gonna shift over to Harry. Harry, who is uh, who's got one strike against him, still plenty of room to uh, throw his his weight around, uh, his little wee weight around. Harry, <laughs> you are on the clock. Hey, uh, we're having fun. Let's go with. Um, I, I I actually I gotta I gotta show up. I'm gonna do Shin Godzilla. Harry is going with Shin Godzilla. Beat beat. And I'm sorry, that is not on the list. I think, if memory serves, it is a close cut. Yeah, uh, I'll look after we're recording. But yes. Once again, I overestimate the letterbox community. Did you, only, you only gave that like four stars. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I love auditing letterbox ratings. Everybody knows it's my favorite thing to do. Uh, we're moving down to Jason. Jason's got got two strikes it is clutch time for him. And so like, I believe in Super Smash Bros. He's got enough damage against him. So his power goes up a little bit. His uh, or his critical hit ratio goes up. Mm-hmm. I'm mixing video game metaphors, but Jason, yeah, you're on the clock. Uh, I'm on the clock and I'm, I'm going to bomb it. But in the name of a good movie, uh, I'm going to say that Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure is on that top 25 list. <laughs> oh, man, I wish that, it was. That is I not was... in the top 100. Come on. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I I'm never gonna win this, Ugh. so I'm just putting it away. I'm I'm just handing it to the two who I, might. I thought I would lose because you all watched so much, so many more Japanese movies. But you actually, that's made you though? worse. At you this. know what I'm doing now? I'm just I'm skimming I, the top. No, you know what I mean? Because you already had number one place and you got spirited away. This was a first guy wins it 
only guy wins it type thing because I don't know. You can just rail off so many movies similar to Spirit. I'm putting I'm putting my 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 pin in at least ten of these top twenty five are Studio Ghibli or animation, and you've got yeah. Your only yeah. guesses so far are. I'm saying it's not. It's not morally healthy. It's not look, altruistic. Look, it's not in the, the spirit are not of watching other Japanese films. It's not my fault. I yeah, love yeah, yeah. It was up to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so it sounds like. I think it's what I'm hearing is Jason opted for the moral loss this time. Which, hey, commendable, commendable, respectful, worthy, worthy of recognition in the the Jedi archives. Uh, I would reckon. Um, yeah. What? Uh, we're back up to Aaron. Aaron with <sighs> yeah. no strikes. Let's see if he can get a fifth one here. Aaron, you are on the clock. I do want to go slightly spicier because of that conversation, but I think I'm uh, going to go weathering with you. Weathering with you is the guess. I don't know if that one is will not be. on the list. Ooh. I guess so like scratching out his notes. Like, so uh, as you said that I was crossing two, two lines through the film, weathering with you, in fact. <laughs> Just for existing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, well, okay. Hey, speaking of Harry, we are back to Harry. Harry's at two strikes. So it's, uh, you know, they, they've got to be bangers. Gutsy, buddy. Out, at least, yeah, with, at least with regards to Letterbox, I, the Letterbox. I really don't think perception. I'm going to win this. Uh, I'm having well, fun you're on the clock. I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah, I'm, nice. I'm going to go with Ponyo, I guess. Ponyo's Harry's like going to go with Ponyo, people, he I, guesses. People in the West fucking love Ponyo. A Ghibli yeah, film, they do so much yeah. so that it's number fourteen on the list. So that is a point for okay. Harry. I'm surprised, Ponyo. Yeah, point point for Harry. Uh, so uh, hey, Harry volleys it back to Aaron's side of the the court. This is tennis we're talking about now. Aaron, you are on the clock. Just, I'm getting to slightly. Uh, can I go the original Ghost in the Shell? You can go the original Ghost in the Shell, um, and you will be wrong because that is oh. literally number twenty-six. <laughs> um, so uh, close, but no cigar, as everyone says. Um, so that is strike number two for Aaron. We got two strikes apiece for Aaron and Harry. It is Harry's guess. The score is four-three. Um, Aaron and Harry, respectively. Um, so again, it is Harry's turn. So Harry, you are on the clock. See, now we're starting to get into some some yeah. sketchy territory, right? Like I'm going to yeah. go with hell's moving castle, but I don't know that could very well not be on the list. It, it, hey, it might not be on the list, but it's number five. So five, how, let us go. Four, four, all tied up. Actually, it's, it's very much the age demographics of people who use letterboxd. Uh, I have like idea. four guesses here. I can't decide which one. I this is a risky one. I'm gonna go Rashomon. Aaron is gonna go Rashomon. Rashomon is not on the list. It fucked. It's number twenty-seven, eight, nine. I think it's number thirty, isn't it, Cody? Uh, that sounds about right. Yes, it's it's in that. Yeah, it's does Harry have to guess one correctly now? Or well, to Harry's. So here's the thing. Harry's at two strikes. Aaron and Harry are tied at four films apiece. Um, if Harry guesses and gets a film, he gets sole possession of the lead. If he gets it wrong, Aaron and Harry share the lead. So, Hey, we'll see what happens, but Harry, you are on the clock. Yeah. So I think that, um, I have to go a little bit spicier, but it's in order to really get the moral victory over Aaron. I'm going to go with Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, uh, or more like Valley of the 
tie because uh, oh it ends in a, ends in a tie. I was um, picking so, between Rashford and that. Stupid. God, can I, I wait. About. So uh, can I name two? I'm so curious about two others to see if they're on so, there. Here, just but, just so they're on, what I'm what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read from twenty five to one. But if you want to okay. like stake your claim on two now, just to be like, hey, these are the ones that I was thinking of. Now is the space. I've still got some notes. Yeah, I, I had two two got so one just thinking Tokyo yeah. story, but the other one that I was I'm real. Use shoplifters recent enough and a big enough awards yeah. thing to be on the list. Shoplifters is on my list. <laughs> Tokyo Story was on my list. Um, uh, you know, Yojimbo was on my Woman list. In the Dune, yeah, yeah. Uh, Woman in the Dunes would be a good one. It's not on my list. I no, didn't no. think that. Yeah. Why would Woman in the Dunes be a better one than? I didn't her. put that one down. It's a no, 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 no. I that was a joke. I, I said that with I a mean, mocking. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. You. You have more. Castle of Cagliostro. Castle in the Sky. You know. Um. Hey, Valiant guesses. You guys aren't still aren't thinking big enough, um, but I'm going to read yeah. from 25 to one. So I'm just going to rattle Pixar them off. Pixar movies a... in Japan. <laughs> uh, no, there's Studio Ghibli, which is kind of like uh, the Pixar of. Bro, if, if of Isle Japan. of Dogs <laughs> is on this list, I'm going to kill every single living human. <laughs> Number 25, The Wind Rises. Number 24, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Number 23, Sonic the Hedgehog. Number twenty-two, <laughs> yes. Number twenty-two, Castle in the Sky. Number twenty-one, Godzilla, twenty fourteen. Uh, number twenty, Marie Antoinette? Question mark. Number nineteen, uh, House, aka Houseu. Oh, number eighteen. Uh, uh, wait a number minute. Eighteen. Uh, yes. Oh, I was just gonna say it's wild to me that Castle in the Sky is more popular than Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. I thought everybody forgot about yeah. Castle of the Sky. Yeah. Maybe I love that's Castle in the Sky. Yeah, I'm it's, a Castle it's very in the Sky good. defender, but yes, it it, it is weird. To me. Number 18, Paprika. Number 17, Shoplifters. Number 16, previous episode, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Number 15, <laughs> Burning. Number four, uh, question mark. Number 14, Ponyo. Number 13, Seven Samurai. Number 12, Grave of the Fireflies. Number 11, Drive My Car. Number 10, Kiki's Delivery Service. Charlie Mackin is in shambles. Number 9, Akira. Number eight, Perfect Blue. Number seven, Your Name. Number six, Princess Mononoke. Number five, Howl's Moving Castle. Number four, My Neighbor Totoro. Um, hey, Cody, <laughs> just read them. <laughs> number three, Lost in Translation. Number two, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Number one, Spirited Away. Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Lost in Translation, this, I'll take. Scott Pilgrim this, is brutal. This, this, that's Scott Pilgrim brutal. is in every single one didn't of these this, fucking yeah, games. I was going to say, did this bitch appear on other lists we've gotten fucked <laughs> over on before? Oh my god. I hate letterboxed yep. users so much, dude. Uh, Harry, we walk it, hand in hand fun. in this one. Thank you for playing. I'll share, I'll share. That's, that's all yeah. I've got. Thank you so much, Cody. Uh, I hate letterboxed users, but I love this podcast because I get to make it with y'all. This has been Try Love, a podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon.org and at Trilon, or sorry, at Trilon Cinema on social and Trilon.org on your web browser. Uh, Get tickets and merch and cool ways to support the Trilon anytime you can. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. I help make this show, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, we didn't mention the fun viewing experience we had. Uh, Shoutouts to the dude sitting in the back, um, loudly saying shit, uh, annoying the shit out of everybody else at the screening, including ourselves, including Jason, who is a, a, a true hero, um, spoke up, tried to get the dude to shut up. 
Um, I, I was not as cool. I didn't speak up, but I, I gave a, a few um, uh, evil stares in the dark. Um, and eventually he did quiet down. But if you were at that screening and you're listening to this, uh, are listening to this right now, sorry that, uh, <laughs> especially if you're watching the movie for the first time, sorry to have your viewing experience tainted by that. By and large, the people we we see and meet at the Trilon are um, excellent, sensational people and a lot of fun. Uh, th- that fucking dude was not. Um, and not shout outs to him. That's just how it be sometimes. Um, uh, thank you, Godzilla. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Yeah, I mean, like that's that is sort of genuinely part of the trial and experience, right? Is like it's volunteer run. It's not in a for profit sort of authoritarian thing. Sometimes that means that like people are going to be assholes because they don't have accountability to not be assholes, and it's just sort of on us to all be adults. Um, that guy is is wild because if somebody told me to be quiet during a movie theater, it would be or during a movie, it would be very traumatizing to me if a stranger had to tell me like a child to be quiet. Uh, so it's, it's particularly wild that he like was defensive about it, but I guess that was his only recourse rather than sort of examining himself and how he came to be uh, in the position he was. Um, I've been Harry Mackin and uh, you know, um, very great podcast. Thank you all. And remember that like the reason why I'm carrying around Godzilla as this podcast stipulates is that, Uh, It's a call for direct action um, and becoming the sort of mastermind Mr. Robot version of yourself. Um, So keep that in mind when you see Godzilla, I guess. Set things on fire. Yeah. Uh, My name is Aaron. I was actually I was actually the person in the theater. I was wearing a a fake mustache and a beard and a wig. And I ruined the viewing experience for you know, my that, co-host. That makes so much sense now why he kept saying this is just like Book of the New Sun. We really should have picked up on that. I, it's really on us that we didn't discover that. This reminds me a lot of my favorite Freddie Gibbs song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I was drunk off my lord at that point, which is why I was so belligerent. But uh, no, my name is Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at Arby, please. That's all I got. Bye, folks. <sighs> I knew it. It must be Godzilla. <laughs>